Hello there, friend. This is Jerry Tyson in The Beacon's Light. Is the next Great Awakening around the corner? Find out in the book Final Fire by Tom Horn, Larry Spargimino, and Donna Howe. As today's world becomes more desperate, the world is inadvertently moving toward another Great Awakening. Get your copy of Final Fire by calling 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or order online, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. What does Job of old and a wedding have in common with us today? There's a curious passage of Scripture in Job 1, 6 through 12. Let me read it for you. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth, or avoids, evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made a hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. Put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. In this incredible passage, God pulls aside the curtain separating us from his celestial domain long enough to learn several things, none the least of which is Satan is not a free agent. He's under God's control. His power is not unlimited and never has been. That is very encouraging. There is a similar occasion related in chapter 2. Surely it's not stretching things too much to assume these ancient accounts were not isolated events. It is very likely Satan is being called to account before the throne on a regular basis. With that in mind, and a little imagination, try to visualize what might have happened just last night. The scene unfolds at Heaven's Gate. The cast of characters, Satan, several angels, Jehovah God, and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's here for his appointment, says one angel. Bring him through, replies another. We've been expecting you. Enter, 
says the first, making no attempt to sound cordial. With that, Satan is cleared through the gate and begins a march he has taken over and over again for thousands of years. It has always been humiliating. As soon as he is through the gate, he is surrounded by several angels. The routine was well established long ago as the enemy of our souls has traversed the corridors to the very throne of God. Again, he will give account of activities on earth bowed in subjection to the God of the universe and to his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, seated at his right hand. He has this place of honor because he has fulfilled all of the requirements to be the substitutionary blood sacrifice for all of the sins of all mankind. Long ago, at the beginning of this regular series of appearances, his surly attitude was obvious to all. More recently, it has been one of resignation. Why waste the energy? There's no use. Not now, anyway. Save the effort for a day still future. As this scenario was repeated more recently, the angel guard has been aware of a subtle but increasingly noticeable difference in Satan's demeanor. What has become apparent to him in recent days is that the work on the construction project is almost complete. For nearly 2,000 years, he has seen the construction moving forward. The building the Lord Jesus Christ himself started when he returned to heaven from his years on earth. As the great deceiver glances from side to side, he can't help but notice the workmen are no longer doing the heavy work. The concentrated effort now is on the details, the little things that take something from spectacular to incredibly magnificent. Some are scraping those little white stickers from the windows. Others are polishing fixtures. Still others are sweeping up or dusting the nooks and crannies. The grand opening will be soon, very soon, Actually, this time, on his march back out later, Satan noticed a sign propped on its end near the front gate, ready to be hung overhead. A shiver went down his spine as he read, Welcome home, children. His time is nearly up. Satan knows he has very little time left to do anything more than to deceive the nations and, as John 10.10 10 says, to steal and to kill and to destroy. In John 13, Jesus revealed to his disciples that he would leave them in a short while. The natural questions were, why, how soon, where are you going? The ever-impetuous Peter asked why he can't go with the Lord, adding that he would give his life to serve and defend the Lord. The look on Peter's face would have been very interesting to see when Jesus said, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. That must have been quite a blow to his ego. 
But in the next verse, Jesus told him not to let his heart be troubled and to trust him. Why? He was going to go away to prepare a place with many mansions for all those who followed him. He said, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. That's John 14, 1 through 4. In John 14, 5 and 6, we read one of the greatest questions ever asked of and answered by the Lord. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There are many things in Scripture that a non-Jew with little or no background in Jewish life and traditions does not understand. That is our loss, because we fail to understand so much that would make the Bible come alive. This brief passage in John 14 is one of them. To illustrate the concept, let's use the story of Amos and Rebecca. We're making them up. They have been betrothed to marry since they were little children. Their parents arranged the marriage soon after Rebecca was born. Now, no longer little children, they're anxious to marry. Amos has made his formal proposal, and Rebecca has accepted it. They are now properly engaged, which represents a relationship as strong as marriage. When Rebecca went to sleep that night, she was aware that she will be married in about a year. She has much to do to prepare for that day. Back home that night, Amos's wise father pulls him aside and said, Slow down, son. I know you want to jump right in, but you have some work to do. Familiar with the customs, Amos begins his building project the next morning. He will follow the generations-long tradition of building an apartment onto the side of his parents' home. That will be where he and Rebecca will live and raise their family. Love-stricken young people are easily tempted to rush into things. Amos might have been tempted to throw a shack together and go and grab Rebecca a week later, but that won't happen. That's why there are Jewish fathers, uh, to say nothing of Jewish mothers. For approximately the next year, Amos lays the foundations, builds the walls, sets the windows and doors, the floors, adding the roof, the furnishings, and all that is needed to make it Rebecca's dream house. Only when the building inspector has given his approval will Amos go for his bride. His father is the building inspector, and he surely remembers his father before him, being a first-class nitpicker when he built the house for his bride. Everything has to be perfect. The structure must be sound. It must have everything just right before Rebecca can be brought to live in her new home. 
Now, part of the fun, if you will, is that the bride is kept out of the information loop. Most likely she has no idea how far the new home has progressed or when her groom will come for her. It would not be uncommon for the future bride and her groom to be separated by an extensive distance. Even as the day approaches, it is a mystery to the bride. When the father finally gives his approval, he will tell his son to go and get his bride. So, Amos and some of his friends will follow another tradition. They will start a procession from his home to Rebecca's, moderately quiet at first. But as they get closer and closer to the bride's home, the noise level picks up. The neighbors quickly figure out what's happening, and they join the parade. This is when the fun really begins. Rebecca's parents were tipped off in advance, so they know what's going to happen later tonight. Only Rebecca is in the dark, and since all of this often happens around midnight, it's quite possible she's sound asleep, oblivious to the fact that this is her wedding night. As the bridegroom and his entourage get closer to the house, with no apologies to the neighbors, they make enough noise to awaken the dead. Now Rebecca is awake. She has heard this kind of racket many times before. This is the tradition, and Jewish life is very carefully managed by tradition. Once the sleep has been shaken from her mind, she realizes this time the noise is headed in the direction of her house. Pots and pans are banging, laughing, shouting, shofar trumpets blaring. The parade has grown considerably as they pressed forward. The next thing Rebecca knows, Amos is there and calling her to himself. Since she has had her wedding clothes prepared and her possessions for her new home have been ready to transport for weeks, in a short time she is part of the procession now joyfully headed back to live in her new home with her new husband. Before things can settle down, there will be a great feast and honeymoon traditionally spent in their new home. Now, compare that with 1 Thessalonians 4:13 through 18. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, Comfort one another with these words. In 1 Corinthians 15.52, Scripture tells us there will be an instantaneous event. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. This is where we stand today. At any minute, 
the construction project could be complete. Christ is nearly finished preparing our heavenly mansions. Soon the Father will say, Son, go get your bride. Returning our focus from tradition to prophecy, this is the next great event in history, which Satan knows full well. Ever since he was thrown from heaven for his rebellion, he has plotted and schemed. He has undermined the truth of God's word with his lies and doubts. He has deceived millions directly or indirectly with false doctrine. All disease is the result of his rebellion against God and Adam and Eve falling for his lies. He has caused millions to die in war. And as the result of sin, pride, and unrepentance, an unaccountable number of souls languish in hell today. Scripture surely teaches that the next time period defined is what is called the tribulation, made of two three-and-one-half-year halves. Then triumphant Jesus leads the procession of his redeemed blood-washed followers from heaven to set up a 1,000-year millennial kingdom on earth. We can read of these events in Scripture, but even the best imaginations cannot visualize what is fully involved. There is a day I really do believe is in the near future when Jesus will take all of his believers to heaven for those seven years. When that happens, the clock starts its countdown. Everything from then until the establishment of the eternal kingdom is on a fixed time schedule. The only thing that is not a fixed date on the calendar is the start of those events. That much is clearly spelled out in Scripture, and Satan can read. He knows as much as we do. So he's working overtime now to move things forward with his plans to thwart God's will. Two times three and a half years, add 1,000 years, and he knows what awaits him some 1,007 or so years from now. He will be sentenced to spend all of eternity in the lake of fire. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Revelation 20.10 Yes, he knows how close to completion our heavenly home is. He has seen the project in preparation for 2,000 years. But he's not about to go away quietly. Current news shows how quickly the world is falling apart. The financial empires are crumbling. Ethnic strife rages. Mobs protest in the streets of cities worldwide now, including our own. Politicians continue to serve themselves and their selfish interests. The rich get richer, the poor get poorer. Once thought to be dead, or at least diminished, both socialism and communism in one form or another are enveloping large portions of the world. Islam is on the march, and in much of the third world, the sword of Muhammad is slaughtering unknown thousands of Christians, while the world powers look the other way, focusing instead on Israel and the perceived injustices perpetrated against the Arabs in the occupied territories. In America, Islamic Sharia law is superseding our laws. 
Mosques stand where churches used to proclaim the gospel in many city neighborhoods. Prison populations are becoming breeding grounds for unrest as Islam's violence appeals to those behind bars. Our judges who swore to uphold the United States Constitution support Islamic thinking rather than Christianity. It isn't always Islamic law that's the problem. It's often those in government and our own court system that do not consider biblical thinking to be valid in any form within our national thinking. As America turns away from God, embracing lawlessness, Islam and homosexuality and more, judgment is not far from falling. It is time for those who name the name of Christ to stand fast to be fervent in witness, for pulpits to thunder forth with the truth of God's word and not cower in fear of losing their 501c3 tax-exempt status. We must reach the lost before it's eternally too late. Much of Scripture is written in the present tense, so as a result it sounds like it's written to and for the people who were alive at the time. The book of Revelation has much of this literary style, but obviously it was not fulfilled in the first century AD. The Revelation was written as a progressive chronology. When read at the time it will be fulfilled, it will be present tense. In the extremely near future, Satan will have his last chance. Revelation 12.12 will be fulfilled. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. For now, our job description is found at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. Maybe these verses are familiar to you. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So, when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here is verse 58, and the focal point of our thinking. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. In the Beacon's Light is a production of Beacon Street Media. Feel free to contact us at www.swrc.com. This is Jerry Tyson reminding you that when we walk in the light, 
as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin.